The Boundless Pursuit Podcast is proudly sponsored by Built Wild DNA. Fuel your day on the water in a constructive and healthy way. Energy and fitness supplements designed with the outdoorsman in mind. Get your physicality in line with your mentality and maximize your time on the water. Use promo code BOUNDLESSPURSUIT for 10% off of your next order at BuiltWildDNA.com. Welcome to Boundless Pursuit, a weekly podcast providing motivation, entertainment, and education to anglers and outdoorsmen. I hope that the stories you'll find here will encourage you to chase your passion more fervently, to open your mind to new opportunities and perspectives. Your engagement and feedback is critical to the growth of this show, and I would love to hear your suggestions on topics or potential guests. You can reach me at boundlesspursuitfishing at gmail.com or at my website, www.boundless-pursuit.com. That's where you'll find all related articles, media, and merchandise. Please remember, the show will gain traction from your support. Be sure to like, comment, and share this podcast to your friends and connections. I'm your host, David Graham. Now let's get on to today's episode. My guest today is a fellow blogger, writer, radio host, and podcaster out of Southwest Florida, Captain Debbie Hansen. And Debbie is one of the coolest, most down-to-earth anglers that I've had the pleasure of meeting. And she's the owner and webmaster of SheFishes2.com. That's SheFishes2 with the number two. And she can be found at at SheFishes2 on Instagram. And Captain Debbie is a local guide here in Southwest Florida, where she specializes primarily in the pursuit of freshwater fish like peacock bass and Florida strain largemouth bass. But still, she is just as talented and knowledgeable about our local saltwater scene, where she's often chasing fish like tarpon, snook, and just the local inshore species with spinning gear, with fly gear, or however she sees fit. But what I like most about Captain Debbie is her involvement in growing the sport. And she's taken a very active role in growing the popularity of the sport with female anglers. And she's often found championing Florida's fishing scene with a tone of conservation and education through her writing, through her seminars, through guiding, and through hosting the ESPN Southwest Florida Real Talk radio show every single Saturday morning. And Debbie Hansen is just somebody who developed a passion for the outdoors from a young age, fueled and facilitated by the strong mentorship of her grandfather. And she's just taken every course of action available to her to pay it forward to the next generation of anglers that don't always have that person in their life. And we just need more of this mindset and more of this active participation in the growth of the sport being done the right way. This is Captain Debbie Hansen of She Fishes 2.com with the number, the host of the ESPN Southwest Florida Real Talk Radio Show, and She Fishes 2 on Instagram. This meeting is being recorded. Oh, wow. I heard that, so I know that you can hear. You you know that you're on record now. Yes. So put on your game yeah. face. Now I really have to be careful what I say. Right, yeah. All that profanities you were just saying before, <laughs> cut that out. Uh, Beep. But anyway, I don't know. I, I don't, my intros to these things are like recorded after the fact. I like have my little, okay. my little spiel. So we just sort of like, yeah. we just sort of like fumble and stumble our way into this. And then I'm like, okay. when I go back and listen, I'm like, that part sounds like a good starting point. I just 
chop it and go. But um, anyway, I guess the first thing I would start by saying is at least our weather's not bad. I got a little bit worried there. I was like, wouldn't it be just my luck that I like want to talk to another Southwest Florida person and like, oh, it's just a hurricane barreling through. I'm like, you got to be kidding. As I was, as soon as I was watching that, I'm like, ain't no way. I was like, this thing's about to mess us up. But uh, you know, the sun's shining, the birds are tweeting, and yes. um, you know, minimal damage, a little bit of a breeze. So I, I, you know, I, what was kind of crazy is today there were about ten frigate birds. I live in Estero, right off of Three Oaks and Corkscrew. There were ten frigate birds that were circling above our condo complex this morning i kept thinking am i fishing offshore today <laughs> like, yeah. what are these? but clearly the weather pushed them inland that is interesting that is a that's a wild creature right there and that is a right you know, not to get off on a tangent about birds but frigate birds that's a terrifying animal but uh anyway i didn't know if it was good timing or bad timing i was like well at least like if she's a fishing guide i know it's gonna you know pretty much guarantee that you know she's you're off the, the off the right. water uh <laughs> yeah. not that you can pick and choose the weather conditions that you encounter and uh we'll get into that in a little bit but i appreciate getting you on here you've you've done a lot for me having me on uh on your show i really appreciate that and uh but i i recall the first time that i found you shout out to tom roland i was kind of binge listening to to his podcast which is yeah. to me is like to me is like the gold standard of a podcast i'm like gotta follow this guy's formula and i, I think absolutely. i think uh i was getting some work done on the jeep and they're like oh it's about a three and a half hour wait i was like oh boy well, I, I got nothing to do and um stumbled across your episode now i gotta tell you, it's, it, it's probably one of the favorite ones that i've listened to and uh, I, I credit his podcast for finding you. Realistically, we're two Southwest Florida people who are yep. very into the fishing scene, maybe have a proclivity for the freshwater things. Like, I don't know. We probably would have crossed paths eventually anyway, but um, all in good timing. Uh, so I appreciate having you on here. No, thank you for having me on. And it, it was a pleasure talking to Tom and chatting with him about peacock bass fishing. And you're absolutely right. Can't say enough good things about him and what he does with his podcast, because it is a real education just listening to him interview anglers from all across the country. And even a lot of his fitness stuff is really interesting and educational. Too. Yeah, that's that's some good. That is a message that a lot more anglers really need to take heed of i hate the, the thought that like the people that tune in each week to listen to a fishing message be like, ah it's another fitness one it is like paramount now i've often thought to myself like if you're really gonna like if you really love fishing as much as you proclaim or purport it just seems like it seems to me that like keeping your body physically capable of enjoying it for as long as possible would be as important or more than like the same energy we put into our gear prep the same energy we put into everything else that like prepares our gear, prepares our game plan. You got to prepare like your physical tools as well. So totally Amen. agree with that. But especially if you're land-based fishing and you're fishing in some areas where there's a lot of rugged terrain. Absolutely. Right. I don't know. It, it, it terrifies me the thought that like my physical capability would limit me from doing a dream trip or like it could yeah. be the difference between 
catching and losing the fish of a lifetime. I, I burnt out. I just became physically exhausted. I didn't have the physicality to even get to the spot. It's a terrible thing to think about. So uh, totally agree. But like your message that I really like, at least what I've seen out of you is, you know, how much you've put into fishing. And I know that like, it, it seems like the common theme in a lot of what I've listened to you is always like, you know, you wonder, well, where, where did all this begin? You know, and podcasts always start the same. It's like the origin story. But I know yeah. your yours is very much tied into the relationship we, that you have with your grandfather. And yeah. I want to touch on that. But then there's like this gap in your experience that I don't think you've ever covered where I've got a lot of questions. But just tell me a little bit about like at some point in time, somebody put a rod in your hand and gave you an opportunity. Like, I don't know, the early development that sort of planted the seed in you to kind of set you on this journey you've been on that was my grandfather when I was five and my grandfather and my grandmother had a cabin in the upper peninsula of Michigan on a tiny little glacial lake called Stanley Lake that was about 250 acres and my grandfather just brought me out there on the pier fishing with him when I was five for bluegill and crappie and sunfish and perch. And those were just some of the best memories ever. I just love spending that time with him. And he would have me do everything from dig up the worms that we use to catch yeah. the fish with to going with him to the bait shop to get the minnows. And it's just uh, all of those really amazing memories from being a kid and the, all the learning experiences. It wasn't just it wasn't just catching the fish. It was the whole process. And I think to this day, that's why I love getting into all the nuances and putting all those puzzle pieces together when I'm chasing different species, because I'm always thinking of everything that goes into it and all mm -hmm. the factors that you need to consider, what kind of bait you're using, what the weather conditions are like, where are you fishing? What is the bottom topography like? What, you know, what depth are you fishing? So I, I just have to give so much credit to my grandfather for never thinking back in 1976, well, she's a girl. Should I be taking her out yeah. on the water? It was just, this is what I'm doing. And I want to introduce her to it. And I want her to experience this. And it was never a question of, should she be in playing with Barbie dolls or be out right. on the water with me. He just did it. And it's, it, it has become my life in so many ways. So I'm just so grateful to him. And I, I love, I just absolutely counted down the days. I mean, my parents both worked full time when I was, when I was young, ever since I was in kindergarten, both my mom and dad worked full time. So when I was off school for summer, I would go up to the lake with my grandfather and my grandmother and stay up there for the entire summer. And I would yeah. literally <laughs> start counting down in March when spring break hit. It was like, okay, I would start crossing days off on the calendar until I knew I could go up there with my grandmother and my grandfather. So yeah, it, it's just all that excitement that I had then still carries over to the mornings when I'm getting all my gear ready and I'm getting ready to take my clients out onto the water today. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's an interesting perspective to hear, you know, to hear that because, you know, some people know this. Like I'm the father of two daughters. 
you know, and yeah. all they know is that their dad loves fishing and has tons of fishing gear sitting in the garage. And it's like, it's something that I'm constantly doing. So it's, it is an inevitability that a kid, whether it be male or females, you know, first and foremost, want to spend time with their, their parents. And a parent should want to spend time with their kid, boy, girl, whatever the case may be. But it's also like, I don't know, both of my girls are fascinated with what it's really just wildlife. Uh, but definitely the fishing thing is starting to come up. And it's just like, I mean, the least you can do as a parent or a grandparent or a mentor of any sort is just facilitate the opportunity. Even if it's all yeah. you do is drive the car and say, you know, e even if there's not a lot of coaching, it's like it's just transporting somebody to the opportunity to to go do that. Um, and so I know I've, I've heard you tell that story a lot and it's awesome. And it, it like, it encourages me a lot because like, yeah, you know, that's awesome. Like now I get the opportunity to do that with, with my kids and like, you know, sort of instill in them that this isn't boy, girl, this isn't like you're, you're cut out of this club. But where I start to wonder is like, okay, so great five-year-old girl with her grandpa, who's loving the summers and spending time and then it, and then there's just sort of this gray area that i don't know about this is where i'm interested in you and learning <laughs> because at some point you become an adult and the grandparents were not always there to speak that encouragement over you and i'm already starting to like get concerned about like my daughter loves mm -hmm. to go catch frogs loves to go catch lizards you've seen the instagram posts and stuff i'm sure i have absolutely but, yeah and, and i get worried because the other kids at school are going to be like, ooh, you know, that's slimy. You're gross or like, you're nasty. So I'm trying to like fortify her mind. Naturally, I think she's stubborn enough to where it's not working. Like she's like, I don't care what you think, which she's I love. She's just going to do her, right. But, yeah. you know, as life progresses, it's like, you know, you want to have friends. You want to have social circles. You want to have community with people who you have things in common with. And it's mm -hmm. sort of like, I don't know, the natural filter of, the way society functions seems to like cast females out or like they, they have less, you know? So I, I guess what I wonder with you to get to the point here, it's like, did you go <laughs> through a period where you like left? Has fishing always been there or did you go through a period where it kind of like left your life and then you had to almost have like a, a resurgence or like revisit it or like it Absolutely. doubled back. It came back. Yeah, I did take a break from it. So when I, I was probably, I would say 13 or 14. And that was right around that time when all of a sudden it becomes really important to hang around with the cool kids and to do yeah. the cool things. And, and you kind of are trying to figure out who you are and what you're all about at that age. And I'll be honest, there were no female role models, the only people that I saw fishing back in the seventies and early eighties were, were men there, you know, mm -hmm. Joan Wolf was around back then, but I had not been exposed to her. I wasn't aware of her and I'm sure there were plenty of other women who were out there fishing, but there was really no prominent visibility of those women in the sport at that time. So to say that I did feel when all my other friends were playing with Barbie dolls or getting interested in makeup or whatever, yeah, you, I did feel like 
the odd girl out, of course, at that time. But there was also a part of me, I had an older brother. He's six years older than me. And my older brother was always doing things outside. And I always looked up to him. So a lot of times he would be out catching frogs or chasing snakes or working on go-karts. And I was, I was around that. So even though I think it took a backseat for me, fishing took a backseat probably from the time I was 13 until the time I was about 18. Um, I, it, it was still kind of in the background and every once in a while, if my family got together and we were going up to spend the weekend at the lake with my grandparents, or we were going on a family trip, fishing was still a part of it, even though I wasn't as immersed in it as I was when I was younger. So at what point did it really like come full circle and like, obviously at at some point you just took the full leap back into it because you know what i admire about you and this isn't even male female thing this is just being a good steward of the outdoors is like you have fully immersed yourself in like the culture of fishing beyond just being a you know talented angler and that like you're also taking an active participation in the community of fishing as a whole across the whole spectrum male female thing out the window just it is a it is like a rare Maybe it's not rare, but it's it's more rare than it ought to be that people get into fishing and uh, it speaks to them so heavily that they want to share that with other people. They, they want to bring other people in. At what point did it, did it really kind of hit, you know, you came full circle and you dove right back into it? Because I understand, you know, you go to school. You know, there's like this expectation in society or, or in in the culture of America that you got to go to school. You got to get a degree. You know, yeah. you got to you got to become uh, competitive in the workforce. You got to contribute to society because yeah. I know I went through that. It's like you sort of feel like you have to be a part of the machine. And I know you, you get sucked into it. Uh, but at some point, it's like, I don't know, somehow you got out of that. And that's sort of like, again, that's a fuzzy area. But I'm curious about yeah. how you wound up where you're at, because you're all in now. I I am. And I think so. A big part of that happened in my late 20s. So I moved down to Florida when I was 27, and that was in 1999. And I already had exposure and loved freshwater fishing from growing up in the Midwest, spending time fishing in the suburbs of Chicago and also up in Michigan with my grandparents. But then once I moved down here, it was just so exciting because this whole world of saltwater fishing opened up and the fact that I could do it year round and it was so accessible because there were so many amazing places to go, so many different species to pursue. And it was just incredibly exciting. Not to mention that living in a coastal area, you've got, you've got ponds and neighborhoods around here where you can fish freshwater for bass and other species. And plus you can go saltwater fishing and catch redfish, snook, trout, tarpon. So just those opportunities were super exciting to me. And I joined, actually, there's an organization called Ladies Let's Go Fishing. Betty Bowman out of Fort Lauderdale, she started the organization back in... I want to say it was probably 96 or 97 Hmm. and she started hosting 
seminars for women specifically. So I went to one of her seminars here in Southwest Florida. Um, and so I met a lot of other ladies who were interested in fishing and we became really good friends and started going on trips together and just figuring it all out on our own, which was the cool thing, just having that camaraderie. But rewinding a little bit to my teenage years and my early 20s, I went through a pretty challenging time because I think I never really felt like I fit in completely. Mm. And there were a lot of, you know, we all go, through, some of us went through that moody teenager thing. And that was definitely yeah. <laughs> me. I would like lock myself in my room and listen to Depeche Mode and all these just <laughs> sort of depressing, yeah. <laughs> you know, tunes from back then. And, um, and I was trying to figure out my place in the world, really. And so fishing was one of the things that always brought me back to who I felt I really was. Because, you know, shoot, when you're at that age and you're trying to fit in in your teens, in your early 20s, you're trying to figure out what the path is in your life. You know, a lot of kids are focusing on, oh, well, you know, what handbag is she bringing to school today? Or, you know, what car is she driving to school when she turns, you know, 16? And I just, I think from a pretty, relatively speaking, a pretty young age, none of that stuff was really important to me. Yeah, It felt empty. It's like, I know there's more to life than that. And I know that when I'm out on the water, none of that stuff matters. And the water, I mean, being out on the water and fishing, you're constantly thinking about what's going on around you and where you're making that next cast, you know, where the bait is jumping over here and all your senses are so engaged. So that was just my happy place. That was where I, I love to be. And I guess circling back to answer your question, I, I just think that, uh, yeah, even though I got away from it during that period, it, it really, helped bring me out of kind of once I finally solidified my my path in life and started figuring out that hey like life isn't about those things like who cares if there's peer pressure and somebody's saying oh gross she puts worms on a hook because yeah. <laughs> if that's what makes you happy that's what you got to run with and All right. and life is too short and I you know, I took a job in advertising and I worked in a pretty high pressure environment just right out of college. And so that was also when I realized, gosh, fishing is totally like the great mind eraser, right? No matter what happens at work when you're stressed out, when the weekend rolls around and you've got two days to be out on the water, it just takes you to a place where you can decompress and you're a whole lot more at peace and it quiets all that chatter down in your head. So yeah. yeah, it really, it was just, it was just sort of something that really helped me, I think, figure out my path in life in a lot of ways, the sport of fishing and um, something that obviously I'm so passionate about teaching other people because I think life's, 
tough, right? I mean, look at what we just went through last year here with Hurricane Ian. And, yeah. you know, before that, we had this pandemic and people really weren't getting out as much initially. We really didn't know what it was all about. It's like, you know, life is throwing all these curveballs at you. I had two parents who were diagnosed with cancer at a relatively young age. I saw them save their entire lives and be very frugal about not going on vacations and not doing things that they always wanted to do because they wanted to save for retirement. And then retirement rolled around and physically they couldn't do a lot of those things. So that scared me to death. Not only did I want to have the flexibility to be able to be there for them, but it also was an awakening for me where I thought, wow, you know, this is no dress rehearsal. You got to make every day count because the days go by fast and they turn into years. And before you know it, you're, you know, in your fifties and you're saying, what have I done to really give back and share and share something I love with other people? I can relate to that as the cancer hit kind of close to home and in my life as well. But yeah, it is shocking how oblivious so many people are to like the concept of time and they're like the the uncertainty of their own, not to sound morbid, like, like you know, their own mortality. It's like once you get a, gri- a grip of like how fleeting time is, I feel like loners understand it better. So it's like, that's why it's sort of like, maybe there's something to it. Like we grew up moving a lot when I was a kid and you sort of mentioned that like, I don't know, you revisited fishing in part, like in the wake of a move, granted you moved to like the greatest fishing state the world has ever known. So it's like <laughs> the opportunities abound, but at the same time, I know um, I-, I have grown up moving even into my adult life, a lot of moves, but it's like, that's always been the thing. It- it's this weird feeling when you get completely cast away from everything, you know, like you have this desire to be near something that's familiar to you. There's yes. nothing physical. I, I've moved to places where I don't have friends. I don't have family. I don't have anything. So the next thing that I have is like emotions and feelings. And for me, it was always like, well, the one constant in my life was like an enjoyment of the outdoors. I go straight, like every, like the most diehard times of my life with fishing always seem to come in the wake of like moves. So yeah. maybe there's something to that. A lot of times it's like when you get moved and a lot of the stuff, like a lot of the blinders of society get taken off of you and you get cast into like, some new place. It's like you want to find something that's familiar to you. So, you know, sometimes people dig all the way back into the archives of their childhood and revisit old things that they used to love. But um, very interesting. It's you know, it's just funny that it's fishing. You know, it's it's fun to talk about fishing like this complex puzzle, which it is. But at the same time, like it's funny when you have this conversation with a non-fisherman. It's like you're describing ultimately this battle of wits and trying to outsmart an animal that's got a brain the size of a peanut it's me versus the fish i gotta solve this puzzle people like what are you talking about you're just trying to fool another animal it's just interesting that humans would choose that it like went from being a sustenance like it was like this thing that was by nature and by design supposed to be for our like survival and now it's become this entertainment but there's like this primal need that is like clearly woven into the fabric of our DNA as human beings to like at least simulate. That's what I always tell people. I was like, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like the caveman in me. Maybe that's why my arms are longer than most people's. So my knuckles can drag the ground. But for whatever (laughs) reason, like I have this like strong desire to like simulate the ability to like hunt and gather. 
And so yeah. I, it's all I can guess. Like, you know, it's one of those questions I don't even like asking people, why do you fish? It's like, I can't answer it. I'm like, I have no idea. I do not well, know so for whatever there, reason. Like, <laughs> So many times there are so many reasons. And if yeah. you think about it, it's interesting that you, that you brought up some of the feelings that you had when you were moving around and how it was something familiar when you're moving from place to place. And I think fishing is also a great connector because no matter where you are, no matter where you move, there's somebody who fishes. And if you're oh, yeah. at Publix picking up a gallon of milk and you're wearing a shirt that's got a fish on it or mm -hmm. it's got a, <laughs> some kind of fishing logo on it, chances are pretty good. You might end up randomly striking up a conversation with somebody and next thing you know, you've connected with someone and maybe not made a new friend, but at least had an intriguing conversation with someone about fishing and where they fish and what their experience has been. Yeah. So I think that's one of the really cool things about our sport too. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's like, I don't know. It's like an unspoken level of respect. I guess if you see somebody, you can sometimes like somebody's fishiness just radiates off of them. So it's, it's like, so you know, true. And it isn't necessarily somebody that's got like the fanciest fish attire. A lot of times it's the opposite. It's like the old salty looking, slimy, dirty looking, tattered up hat. And like, I'm like, yeah, that guy knows the water. Bunch of wrinkles. But um, totally agree. But um, yeah, raccoon eyes. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's it. But so, you know, there, the thing is, there's no shortage of people out there that like to catch fish. They're all over instagram like that's just the day and age we live in it's like i don't know if it's so much that there's more people than ever before or now that like you can you can see them you know what i mean like it used to be like the community of anglers that you knew and encountered was at the water's edge you just walk up and like oh there's another fisherman now you can see them on the internet you can see them on your phone you can see how many people are fishing so i was like i don't know if there's more people doing it or there's just you can it's more transparent you can find them easier uh, so they're everywhere. People like posting stuff all over Instagram, but there's not a lot of people that are actively engaged and like deep in the culture of fishing where you're sharing information, sharing what they know, trying to bring more people in. And you, you've done that a lot. And then I, I don't know what started first. Like, so I don't know, you, you've got like the lot of different degrees to how much you're trying to share. It's like you're making every effort to share it every which way you can. And, you know, we'll get into the guiding in a little bit because I understand you're guiding, you're writing, yeah. you're doing yeah. a radio show every single <laughs> week, which I have learned very quickly to realize, well, man, she's, that's work. So what came first? Like, what was the, like, you know, I, obviously it was enough of a passion for you that it's, you know, it's almost like it physically in the physical sense and in the, in the, in the, uh, uh, I don't know the words that I'm looking for. You like your energy about it is bursting out. Like you're sharing what started. Did you begin writing? Did you begin? What came from? Were you guiding first? Yeah. Or writing? No, I started writing. So I, I had a blog or I started a blog and this was when I was in the online advertising industry. So I was working full time. I was in business development for an online ad company. And I saw that people had blogs and they were monetizing their blogs through paid advertising. So I was working in pay-per-click advertising and I'd see people who had these blogs that were yeah. recipe, recipe blogs or they were blogging about 
you know, antique cars, and they were monetizing their content. And I thought to myself, look at all these people that are, maybe they're not doing this for their full-time job, but they're making a little bit of money on the side and they're writing about something they love and they're passionate about. So I decided to start my own blog evenings, weekends. I just started writing and I had an, I have an English and journalism degree from Western Illinois university. So I love to write. And, um, I just started writing short little how to's more geared towards women because at the time there really weren't any women out there who were writing articles on fishing or sharing information. And I thought, I know that there are a lot of ladies who would be interested in fishing. Maybe they haven't tried it. Maybe they're single or maybe they're teenagers, but again, maybe they don't see other women doing it. So they're reluctant to get out there and give it a try. And they also don't have any female role models or instructors. So why don't I write, start writing more geared towards them and that, that demographic. So that's what I did. I started a blog and just did a lot of how to's. And from there, the recreational boating and fishing foundation, someone on their marketing team, saw that I had started a blog and asked me if I'd be interested in pitching a, a contract to them or providing them with a, a proposal for a contract. And that's how things took off. If, if it wasn't for takemefishing.org and the Recreational Boating and Fishing Foundation, I probably wouldn't be where I was because they gave me the confidence through being able to blog for them on a weekly basis and set up that contract to kind of springboard off and then start writing for other print publications and other blogs. And then from there, I decided to go get my captain's license and start guiding. So it really, it really opened up a lot of things once I felt like, okay, now I've got this contract in place. I have some financial stability which is what I needed in order to make the transition from my full-time job in my past life to, to what I actually do now. So, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Hopefully that answered the question. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Well, we're going to dig even deeper, but the the blog thing I love, I I do the same thing. It's like, like, it's funny when like your uh, inspiration to like start sharing information is because of like, at least for me, it was like, I had such a lack of information for some of the fish that I wanted to catch is it just wasn't yeah. out there. I'm like what the heck? I can't find any way like how to catch this. And then as I began to learn myself, I'm like, well, why don't I be the person that does it? So it's like, yeah. you know, it's, it's cool that you decided, well, you know what? There's not a lot of voices out there, maybe representing women, representing whatever, but not everybody has that sort of like, why not me kind of mentality. Like, well, if, if, you know, I don't, I recall how hard my learning process was. Why can't I make it a little bit easier for somebody else? It's like, you know, I don't guess you, know, you definitely see the people who don't want to share, but, uh, you know, blogging is, is, is near and dear to my heart. I don't know. Sometimes I don't communicate very well, but it's like the words just flow off my fingers better. <laughs> I feel like I probably articulate better in my blogging than I do with my speaking. So it's just yeah. works better. But, uh, you know, it seems like at the same time, you kind of have to adapt with how you're sharing information because like, I don't know if you noticed this, it was like less and less people want to read. It seems it's like people, especially, I don't know if it's the social media thing is, it's a great thing. It's an awesome tool, 
Um, I think it does just as much good as it does maybe any perceived harms, but definitely it's gotten to a point where people want the, you know, the immediate, you know, satisfaction. They want the instant instant gratification. People want that big fish. They want to go out every single time and catch tons of fish. And that's not the reality. There is actually work involved and it takes time on the water. That's the only way you get to those successes and there's really no shortcuts, but yeah, I think that being able to put it down, you know, whether it's on paper, if you're writing a book or you're writing a magazine article, or if it's blogging and writing something online, being able to share that information with people who genuinely want to absorb it is, is to me a pretty neat feeling because you, I'm sure, you know, like you fish with those people who just have that thirst for knowledge and they may be, they may be out West somewhere targeting, I don't know, brown trout or rainbow trout somewhere out in Montana but then they come out fishing with you and they've never caught a gar before, but they're just so just engaged and they want to learn everything about it because they just appreciate fishing and they're not so focused on, Oh, it's gotta be this species or it's they yeah. They just want to learn as much as they can and soak it up. And those are the people that, man, I love spending time around them because they're not, they're just open to everything that our world and our experience has to offer. And I know, you know, the coolest thing I think from some of the trips that you've taken is that you target a lot of these species that people think are quote unquote trash fish. And yeah. I've done the same thing. A lot of people I've fly fished for gar and people are like, what are you doing catching those disgusting yeah. <laughs> things in a canal somewhere? But to me, it's, it's all fishing and it's all, every different species presents a new challenge and that's the coolest part about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's been definitely a common theme on, on, you know, in my, the inner circles that I stay in and then a common message for the people who might be outside of that, that don't have that line of thinking. I I always, you know, I question people. I admire people who are like species specialist specialists, tongue twister. Um, yes. because you know, people can make a living off of doing that. It's, and you can actually yeah. like, you know, arguably be the best at one thing, but at the same time, like, why would you self-impose those kind of limitations on your experience? Like you, you have put in place barriers upon your own opportunities. You've created ceilings, you've created walls, you've created parameters. Like if you want to really measure your skill set as an angler, cause that's what, you know, you feel pride. When you outsmart a slimy fish, you know, <laughs> you, you feel pr- you feel pride when you have this battle of wits with a, something that sometimes is unseen under the surface of a sheen of, you know, reflective surface. And like, you know, you have this intuition that something might be there and you use a piece of plastic in some cases to fool that thing's predatory response. It feels good. But it's like there's so many fish out there. There's this massive, unending, inconquerable number of fish, and it just—I mean, to me, it's like you can you can get so much more pride and good feeling out of knowing that you conquered more fish. I'm just like, what? I, I don't understand why I even have to sell that idea to another angler. But anyway, uh, but I don't yeah. know. Just just with with regards to the blog thing, though, 
I nothing makes me feel better. Like other than catching a fish for myself, which I love. I like doing fishing for me, but it almost more so when I get feedback on my blogs. It makes me feel so good. Maybe it's a selfish thing. I don't know. It's like I almost do it in part. I do it to help other people, but I almost also do it for like myself. I I feel so good when I have just recently I had a message from a mother who was wanting to come to Florida with her son. And all he wants to do is catch peacock bass. She's like, I don't know anything about fishing. I don't know how my, all I know is my son really wants to go catch peacock bass. I don't know how to do it. I don't know where to go. I'm like, she has somehow found herself in front of me. So I'm like so eagerly filling her with, you know, as, as much as I can give her that would almost guarantee the opportunities can't guarantee the success. That's the beauty of this whole thing. But I can, I can put you, I can increase your odds significantly. But then like, to me, I'm like, please, please. I want to hear how this goes. Like if y'all have success, please message me back. So like the scenarios where my blog has generated that kind of interaction, it like makes me feel so good. I'm like, I wish more anglers understood like, I understand how good it feels to to break a personal best, to get a cool hero shot. But like not a lot of people know the feeling of like somebody like you bestowed knowledge upon somebody who 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 wanted that same feeling and because of what you gave them they had success. It feels maybe even better than catching a fish for yourself. And so the blog so. the blog is just one way to do that and you can do the same thing with video tutorials. Uh, whatever it is, but you've gone a step further, even further than maybe I, I'm afraid of it, but you've dared to enter the world of guiding, which I find so admirable because it's like one of the most honorable things that a diehard fisherman can do to share that experience. Granted, it's like, you know, it's transactional to a point, you know, you're, you're making a living, but the real motivation behind it is sharing what you're, you're passionate about. At least, at least in your case, it's evident that that's what you're doing. But, um, you know, t- and then and then I guess we'll go this way too, because th- this is interesting to me. You live in some of the most phenomenal saltwater fishing, and I know you you enjoy the saltwater fishing, but for whatever reason, you just seem to have more of a like you you've leaned into the freshwater thing a little bit more. And I'm more of a freshwater guy myself, so it's interesting to kind of pick somebody's brain when you know the saltwater fish get they get bigger, they get stronger, they get faster, they're more notorious. But for whatever reason, I know I have my personal beliefs on why I favor freshwater fish. But like, but why did you go that route? It took me back to my roots in a lot of ways, just from growing up fishing with my grandfather on a lake in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And I feel that after moving down here and getting very excited to learn about saltwater fishing, I realized that, wow, everybody's putting so much emphasis on saltwater fishing. Florida has some amazing Mm -hmm. freshwater fisheries and some really, I feel, underrepresented or undervalued freshwater sport fish. So to me, just the excitement of doing something that not everybody was out there doing but also kind of bringing in the experiences that I had from being young into what I do. I mean, it just feels like I'm at home when yeah. I'm on a lake or I'm fishing on a canal. It just feels like I'm 
back at home and, and, you know, I'm with, with my family and maybe that's part of it. It's just that familiarity, but I really do feel like we're so blessed to have some of the just amazing freshwater opportunities and they just don't get, they just don't get as much focus or people just really kind of overlook them. I think in a lot of instances, they're like, well, I want to go saltwater fishing and, you know, we've got really cool, I mean, like chain pickerel. A lot of people don't realize we've got chain pickerel. I haven't caught one yet. I really want to get a chain pickerel in South Florida, but I have not cracked that code yet. But yeah. Yeah. That's cool. (laughs) Well, what are most people like when people are reaching out to you, I guess, just, you know, to get more into it, like when they're when they're contacting you uh, to book a trip, what are most of them saying, you know, oh, I really want to catch which, you know, what are they wanting to catch? Is there like one fish that they seem most interested in? Uh, peacock, ba- peacock bass for sure. I think that most people who are coming down from somewhere up north, if they're coming down to Southwest Florida to visit on vacation, they they want to catch a peacock bass. That's the freshwater target of choice for so many yeah. people. <laughs> they feel like, hey, I don't need a passport to go down to the Amazon. I can do it on my vacation in Florida. So I want to do it. The fish are so colorful. They're so bright. They just, they're beautiful in pictures and they're super hard fighting. So people absolutely love chasing them. And I don't blame them one bit because I do too. So yeah, I would say peacock bass for sure. That's yeah. the primary target. I, I could see that. I know when I, I mean, I, you know, I put myself in the shoes of the people that are coming down here, you know, because for me, that was obviously, you know, you have like this hit list. When you move to Florida, yeah. oh my gosh, the field is open. Where do I start? You know? Yeah, and like peacock bass is like, it, it just they sell themselves. You know, it's yeah. like you know, there's such a uh, strong parallel between them. Well, that I guess this is uh, debatable, but you know, the name bass is in there, so it's sort of like this, like unique tropical bass. You know, obviously they're they're cichlids, but it's like they're right. these bass-like fish with these crazy colors from a different part of the world. So it's like, you know, I think the term bucket list gets thrown around a lot, but I think that like, it's fair to say that that is a major bucket list fish for a lot of anglers. And I'm like envious of you because every day you get to have like the front row seat to somebody's like realization of that bucket list experience. So like, I mean, does, does that ever get old? I mean, it's kind of a, I guess I know the answer to that, but like you, it's like, I'm so jealous that like every day you get to like relive that first moment of somebody getting to catch one. I, fr- I freaked out when I caught one and it was like a, it was such a little one and I was so <laughs> excited, but you get to see it all the time professionally. And then, and then you kind of get that uh, similar experience. Like you, you, yeah. you, you gave them the opportunity, you coached them through it and, and they made it happen. Uh, And that's exactly why I do what I do and why I love it. It's, you know, definitely diversified and I've, and I've spread myself out between the guiding and the writing and the radio show, but, but with the guiding and being able to see somebody just absolutely light up and be so excited when they catch their first peacock bass or their first of any species, but Mm -hmm. But peacock bass, yes, they're they're super special, and so many people get so excited about landing their first one. And yeah, you're living vicariously through their excitement, and 
yeah. remembering all those early days that you had on the water. And I get just as psyched as they do when they catch their first fish. So uh, one of the comments that so many people have said to me, they're like, oh my gosh, I love fishing with you because you get so excited <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whenever I land a fish because it truly never, ever does get old for me. I think um, I get just, I, you know, with, when somebody catches a really big, nice peacock bass or any fish, I almost start shaking with excitement just because I'm, I'm just, just yeah. as jazzed about it as they are. It's, it's really cool. It's cool. Yeah. Well, that's real. I, I, you know, I've had, I've had experiences with guides where you almost, I, you know, I almost felt like I was like some kind of not necessarily a burden, but I was like a, I was a job task. Yeah. And it's just like, oh man, like, you know, it's, you can feel it. Like nobody has to say anything. It's just like, you know, you can tell when somebody's really genuinely, that goes across the board for all career paths as well. Like you can tell when somebody's yeah. really in it because they genuinely love it. Great thing is, every client probably then becomes a recruiter for you, like an unofficial part of your staff. I imagine they're going out there, you know, they're going to tell the story, you know what I mean? I'm going to return home and talk about how amazing this experience was. It's awesome. Yeah. It's like, you know, um, but it's really cool. And then, you know, I know that the peacock bass, I think that's like a common theme in your photos. It's just one of those yep. fish that sells itself. It's an interesting case here in Florida. And definitely, I share the same sentiment with our freshwater fishing. I would stack it against any freshwater fishing in the country. And that's, you know, it's obviously due in part because of some of the, the new, you know, the new players that are in the game, so to speak. You know, because it's like, it's a, a blessing and a curse. A lot of these non-natives, uh, invasives, introduced species, they're here to stay and they can only be enjoyed. And it's like, it's a shame that things have changed, but it, it is what it is. It's unfortunate, but it's also an opportunity. You get yeah. stuck in this weird conundrum as an angler to where like you, you want to be a steward for like the natural environment. Right. But you almost feel guilty to like 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 I don't know, show excitement for something like a like a snakehead is I guess a better example. Yeah. Um but there's also there's also when you speak about our freshwater fishing, the characters everybody knows. Like a lot, like even even our largemouth bass are special, and we talked about a little, talked about this a little bit before we got on. Because I'm like you, I'm a Florida transplant. I I lived in South. I was born in South Carolina, lived in Arkansas, Oklahoma, Texas, all mm -hmm. over the place, and I fished ever since I was a kid. And we always heard, "Oh, that pond is better because it has Florida strained bass." I'm like, "What does that mean? What are you talking about?" And so that was a that's something that even up until recently, listening to to you describe it, I didn't know what that meant. I was like, what are these things like genetically engineered in some Florida laboratory? Like what makes our bass more special or unique, I guess is the better word. Well, the Florida strain bass is is a distinct subspecies as opposed to the northern strain largemouth. So I get a lot of people who will call me and they want to book trips freshwater fishing trips and they'll say, well, well, I don't really want to catch largemouth bass though, because I can catch a bass up in Illinois or up in Ohio. And I always have to explain to them that yes, the Florida strain largemouth is, is different. It's a different subspecies. And so in other words, it grows faster. It is less aggressive than the Northern strain. So therefore making it more challenging to catch 
And obviously, due to the climate that we have here, our Florida strain fish are also a lot more susceptible to behavioral changes when we get cold fronts that come through. So those people who bass fish professionally know, especially if they're fishing in Florida, that when a cold front comes through, it's going to be really challenging and you're going to have to really finesse those bass in order to get them to chew post-front in those post-front conditions. So the other thing that I found so interesting about Florida strain largemouth, and I did not know this until I went up to the Florida Bass Conservation Center, and that's up up in Webster, Florida. So that's up uh, north of right around, like not far from the villages in Florida, if you know where that's at. So it is one of the state's largest fish hatcheries, but they also have a visitor center. And if you call them in advance and let them know you're coming, they'll give you a tour. And you'll be able to talk to one of the many biologists and geneticists that they have on the staff there, and they will educate you on Florida strain largemouth. So I went and did that trip a few years back. I was writing an article. So this was research for an article that I was writing. And and honestly, I was really kind of blown away by all the knowledge that this biologist was sharing with me. And he said that the... Lake Wales Ridge, that not many people are familiar with, maybe people who live up closer to the center of the state, is where the Florida strain largemouth bass evolved, essentially. So what the Lake Wales Ridge is, is it's a chain of ancient sand islands. And that was the only part of Florida that was above water during the Ice Age. So on that little strip of chain sand islands and that chain unique life forms developed that would you know there were you know the florida strain largemouth bass um the florida scrub jay some of the different plant species that we have that are found in no other place those animals and plants evolved on that ridge and so even today if you're going to target a trophy largemouth bass you're going to probably catch a trophy. Your best chances are going to be in the area that that ridge runs. Because what we have down here, a lot of times, what the biologist was explaining to me is we have, I mean, especially now, you think about how warm our water temperatures have been down here in South Florida this year. Yeah. Like in the low 90s. So bass even Florida strain bass go through something called metabolic burnout. So if the water is too hot for an extended period of time throughout the year, they don't grow as fast and get as large as they do in other areas where the water temperature stays a little cooler. And sometimes just a few degrees can make a difference. So those areas closer to the center of the state are going to be more conducive. They're going to have obviously more of the certain types of vegetation, the water temperature is going to be more conducive to those fish getting bigger, bigger. And also the type of forage that those fish are feeding on is going to be a lot more abundant in those waterways. I mean, I don't know anywhere down here that you can, you know, you can find live wild shiners, but if you go to the center of the state, you certainly can. Yeah. So it a lot of it has to do with forage, water temperature, and um, 
and just knowing, doing your research, you know, um, for example, people, a lot of times will ask me, I'm very honest with them and I'll tell them, I'm not going to tell, like, tell you, you cannot catch a double digit bass down here in South Florida, but your chances are a lot less than they would be if you went to Lake Ixtapoga or Rodman Reservoir or some of those lakes that, you know, are in the, uh, the Lake Wales area, Lake Josephine. There's a lot of Lake June and winter. There's a reason why a lot of bass tournaments are held on those lakes because those lakes are known for producing those bigger fish. Yeah, that, that is uh, weird to even wrap your mind around that the like the fish kind of hit the rungs of the evolutionary ladder during the the ice age. Like you don't you don't envision Florida being under like those kind of conditions but uh it makes sense that it, like isolated the populational point they had to evolve different characteristics to survive but um you know it's funny you describe that or it's interesting you describe uh what you call it metabolic burnout yes i mm-hmm. had never thought about that because i've observed the same thing even with some other native species i don't know if the same necessarily applies to the exotics but i've noticed that like it seems like everything below okeechobee is is mostly smaller but i didn't know if that's because of a lack of access to deeper water because it seems like everything south of okeechobee is just like you know water management canal systems and stuff it's like nothing looks real nothing looks natural so i'm like well, maybe that's it because what is this like you know for me it's like the bowfin is kind of the same thing it's like there's so many of them down on like alligator alley the tamiami trail I mean, you can get numbers I can never find right. the big ones. I have to go up near like Tampa and stuff to start finding the big fish. I'm like, what is that? It almost makes you wonder if it's a similar, similar effect. Uh, too much time spent in, in warm water, but um, yeah, it, it it could be. I know that the biologist specifically was speaking to bass when I talked to him about it, but it would be interesting to know if that, and I'm sure it does in a lot of cases. You know, and and the other thing that I was thinking about too, David is is a lot of people don't understand, say, for example, you take the case of the peacock bass. The peacock bass was stocked here intentionally in the 80s to help control populations of tilapia, the spotted tilapia mostly, but also different cichlid, other invasive cichlid species. And now people are very concerned about the peacock bass taking over and they feel like the peacock bass are so much more aggressive than our native species that they have concerns about the peacock bass, for example, dominating in the forage base and the largemouth not having access to, you know, our native species not having access to food sources because these introduced species or non-native species are, are basically dominating the food chain. However, I think we all need to think about what's, what's happening and most every angler that I've talked to who has lived here in Florida, Florida native, has said we never had these extended periods of warm weather. Like when I say warm weather, yes, Florida's warm year round, but almost everyone I've talked to has said we are seeing longer periods of hotter weather than we ever did, say, 10 years ago. So as this is happening and we're seeing these water temperatures in the low 90s, we also have to realize that some of these species that come from 
climates where these warmer temperatures are the norm, of course, those species are going to become more prevalent and their range is going to extend farther and farther north because, Mm -hmm. because of what's happening to our ecosystem. So is it a bad thing? Because I mean, sure, we all want our native species to survive and thrive, but if it's given the choice of, okay, well, bass can no longer exist in this waterway because it's just too dang hot and there's not enough forage for them year round, but these other non-natives can because their, you know, their preferred water temperature range is within this warmer range, then at least you've got something to chase. So I think we all need to think about the effects that we're all having on our ecosystems. And there's a lot of changes going on. Yeah. You you see that shallow vision out of, out of anglers across the board with a lot of things too, where where there's like a displacement of a preferred type of fish because of the presence of another one. And it's like, we just stop there. The bass are gone because there's all these peacock bass uh, and, or because of these snakeheads or because of these mudfish or, you know, fill in the blank, not right. realizing that like the prevalence of this other fish is just a symptom of the root cause of what the real problem is. Uh, you know, that is a, that is a, I don't know, an element of fishing that has always interested me. Like the, the, the perception and the acceptance of one type of fish over another when both have maybe a, an equal level of effect uh, on the ecosystem. And I think a good example of that, like with our, with our, cause our scene is just so crazy right now with the, you know, we're just South Florida has become notorious with non-native things, but right. certain animals are like beloved, whereas others are despised. And then you wonder, well, is one like, what's the difference and i i always kind of go to like the snakehead and the peacock bass and it's like you know why is one so beloved and then the other one is so despised and like i don't know it's just it's an interesting dynamic uh i don't actually i i say that the clown knife fish yeah i i am convinced and you, you hate to think that people are this uh silly minded but i'm convinced that it's in the name like I'm convinced that if some of these fish had a more appealing name, it wouldn't be so hated. Like the snakehead. It just doesn't sound very national. Like, clown knife fish. People are scared of clowns, especially clowns that have knives. <laughs> I'm convinced that these fish had a more appealing name, they'd be more accepted, but maybe maybe not. Like pe- butterfly peacock bass. That's a beautiful sounding name. But for two different fish that really, you know, can maybe be as I don't want to say harmful, but you know they can have the same type of effect. But right, I, exactly. Yeah. I do. It does seem though, like at least in Florida, like people more so seem to enjoy snakeheads than than not. It's like when I post a photo of a snakehead, you know, there's always like at least one comment maybe that's yeah. like negative, and then you click the person. It's like some guy from like Connecticut. I'm like what the? It's never like the people that are down here affected by it that have anything to say, but. Well, and the bottom line is when you're making lemonade out of lemons, it's just, they're there. We're not going to, in some cases, these species are 
they are a part of that ecosystem, whether we like it or not. And yeah. even if we were to try to, you know, we there was a law saying do not release these back into the water. In most cases, is it even going to make the question we need to ask ourselves is, is it even going to make a dent in the population? I mean, we have a lot of these non-native fish roundups, and certainly that helps offset offset these fish from totally taking over in some cases, but in a lot of instances, you go back to those waterways and there's still going to be Mayan cichlids there, for example, or yeah. ospers there, for example. So we might reduce the population a little bit, but ever, are we ever going to be able to eradicate them completely now that they've been established here? Yeah. I, I'm not really I feel sure like it's a, it's a slippery slope when like the government or whoever encourages people to kill things. Uh, yeah. Or especially like, I don't think they can mandate killing. I mean, you, you know, it's illegal to transport. So obviously then yes. you have to, but um, you know, you, you gotta be cautious what I try to tell people is like, you don't want there to be a mandate on killing things because or incentivizing, which I think is even worse because when like a lot of people are like, Oh, they need to put a bounty on these. They need to like put money behind it, which other States have implemented. Well, then you got to worry about people who are like out to try to get money and they, they can't properly identify a snakehead from like something. I guess the best example is like a bowfin. They look so similar and you got to wonder how many bowfin in the early onset of snakehead introduction when all the hysteria was going crazy in like the early 2000s yeah. i always wonder how many bowfin like were killed like wrongly for for that so it's like you know well we don't want to encourage people to just blindly go out killing what they think is the wrong thing i've heard the same argument with something like the pythons that we have here if you start saying we'll give you a hundred dollars for every python you kill and there's no education behind it people are going to go out and just start mowing down every snake they see and then our native species are going to be even more impacted than they were by the introduced species. Like now, now they're also dealing with people out there blasting them. So yeah. it's um, it's definitely an interesting, interesting thing that uh, that we're dealing with. But yeah, your your um, your your involvement in all all elements of these things. It's encouraging for somebody like me. You know what I mean? So I find I, I'm motivated by it. I'm like, you know what, man. Like I feel like I've I've got more to offer to this whole thing to like to to give back to be a voice, but um, I I understand you know, you know you're doing more than just guiding. Obviously, you're doing the radio show, which is that just seems hard. I don't know how you, I don't know how you stay committed to it. But at the same time, I've been a guest on it and I've seen how much you actually enjoy the people that call in. You've got an awesome team set up. You got like familiar faces that seem to call in and it's like uh, it actually seems like like a lot of fun but um what we what kind of like uh what like future things do you have coming up you got any cool um outreach type of things education program um stuff coming up in in the near future yeah we're gonna be doing some meetups for ladies in the industry we've got a kayak fishing meetup that's gonna be coming up in january and then I'm going to be co-hosting the Saltwater Sportsman Seminar Series with George Poveromo here in Fort Myers in January. So I'm really looking forward to that. And that's just a really cool format because they get a panel of anglers to talk about inshore topics, offshore topics. And then one of the hosts will kind of grill them and throw the same question or a few different questions at different people on the panel just to see if people have different viewpoints and kind mm -hmm. of get them 
you know, get them riled up every once in a while. So it's just a really cool format, especially for people who like hearing different viewpoints from captains and professional anglers in different parts of the state or even in other states. So George brings in a great team. Some of the, you know, some of the captains and guys are from, you know, Jot. Um, Jot is up in, I'm trying to think of his last name, Owens, I believe he's up in North Carolina. And then there's, you know, there's Mike Goodwine from up in Tampa and Crazy Alberto Nee, who is down in this area. So yeah, there's just a great cast of characters and yeah. getting to hear everybody's take on how to pursue certain species and what techniques they use is pretty neat. Now that sounds awesome. It sounds almost intimidating too. I don't know. You get a cast of characters with all this experience and you're sort of like the person on the stage. Like you've assumed the host role or the co-host role, whatever the case yeah. may be. I don't know. I'd probably get stage fright. I'd get scared. I'd love to be a fly in the wall in there for a participant on a lower level, but that's awesome. That is, uh, that's really cool. It's, you know, I, I, maybe I, I certainly speak for myself, but I also hope that I'd speak for other people who are wondering, like, you know, I think people want to be involved in these things, like more than what you, maybe it looks like, you know, when you browse Instagram, um, yeah. I think people genuinely want to get involved in stuff. So maybe this is pretty a vague question or it's open-ended, but I, you know, how would somebody take the first steps to getting involved in similar? I mean, where are they posting this at? Like, I don't even know when to tell when like the next local Southwest Florida event might be, for instance, just a case in point. Like if people want to like take a more active role in their fishing and be part of making things better, how, like, where do you begin searching for this? Is there like groups? Is there outlets? Is there information resources? Like, you know, where do you even find opportunities to get involved, I guess? Well, I mean, podcasts are one great way. You learn about a lot of fishing events and different places to fish and what's going on in the fishing community from listening to podcasts and radio shows. And I think also, from there are a lot of Facebook groups out there. There's a lot of people that are active on social media that share a lot of that information. Um, but and I think a lot of the fishing, I would say like the fishing um, tackle shops and retailers, a lot of times they'll share information about what's going on in an area. So I, I think really it comes down to just getting plugged into your local community and connecting with some people there and just asking around. I mean, that's honestly one of the best ways from my personal experience. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing I've observed or I've observed it probably out of myself, I'm introspective enough to know my own shortcomings, but you know, I think a lot of people probably sell themselves short on what they have to offer. It's like, Oh, well, yeah. you know what, what can I do? It's like, that's, if there's one thing, it's funny. You mentioned the podcast thing. There's one thing I've learned in this whole process. Like it is, amazing the like the different talents you know i got on here thinking i was just going to talk to people about their fishing and then i quickly learned like some people are musicians some people are like communication specialists marketing specialists some people are like photographers some people are builders they just they're craftsmen like it's everybody seems like they have something that they could offer so i guess you know if you really want to offer that you know I guess just simply searching what's what's local to you and then assessing your own skill sets and what you have to offer. 
But um, that that is one thing I've noticed real quick in this podcasting. It's like, man, a lot of people like have these awesome skill sets along with their fishing that like that can tie into it. But um, there's a ton of opportunities out there to learn. There always is. It's just a matter of how much effort you put into it. And I know I'm sure like when you want to research a certain species, you have no problem just hopping online and digging around. And that's really what you have to do. And that's one of the reasons, to be honest, that I think I really enjoy blogging too, is because as I'm writing a blog post or an article, I may not know much about that particular species, but there's one way to learn, right? Especially if I'm writing an article about a species that I don't have much experience with. Like I started writing for Catfish Now magazine a couple years ago, and I didn't know much about pursuing catfish, but, you know, as a journalist, as a writer, there's one way to find out and that's interview the people who are the professionals at it, Mm -hmm. who do have the experience. And as a result, when you're writing that article or you're typing up that blog post, you're learning a ton that you can then apply when you go out there and fish yourself. So to me, it's cool being able to interview all these people about different species, different fisheries, different experiences, and then pull all that knowledge back and apply it myself in different areas into new experiences. That's just, yeah. So I think really anyone who does the research and digs around, you know, you can, you can figure things out and gosh, with the internet, I mean, when we were growing up, we didn't have the luxury of watching a YouTube video or listening to a podcast that was based specifically on one thing. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> we're lucky. We're really fortunate. Now, in yeah, for sure. age, all the information we want is pretty much at our fingertips if we want to find it. Yeah. Well, we've just spent like over an hour basically highlighting all the things that you do for fishing and all the things you do for other people, the people that you serve as a guide, the community that you serve as, you know, from an educational standpoint, organizing events, hosting events, you know, doing the radio show. But I didn't have really asked about like you and like, is there anything like what do you have? Like, you know, when you're doing your own fishing. The stuff that you do for yourself, there's nothing wrong with, you know, there's nothing wrong with, you know, getting what you want to get out of the experience. You got any kind of trips coming up or like, you know, things that you have in the, in the, you know, maybe a five-year plan. Like, golly, I really have, like, have been eyeing this experience for myself. Like, when I want to go get my getaway and I've got my bucket list, like, is there anything looming for you? Like, your own selfish needs. It's totally for getting your own experience. Is there anything you got coming up or you just free flowing right now on the bucket list is going out to Montana and doing a fly fishing trip for brown trout and rainbow trout out there because I've never done that. Mm -hmm. And within the past, I would say eight years, fly fishing has been something that I've just, I've really grown to love. So that is, that's a goal of mine. I also would love to get up to Alaska to fish for salmon oh, yeah. just because I've never done that. And, oh gosh, I could probably go on forever. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I want to go back to Costa Rica because I went down to Costa Rica and it wasn't the right time of year, but I really wanted to get a rooster fish. Mm. Ended up getting sailfish and mahi, which is awesome, but 
I'm always about getting that species that I can't get here in Florida. And that didn't happen. So I'd love to go down there and catch a rooster fish. I did get to catch a tiger fish um, on the Zambezi River back yeah. in 2012. So um, I was able to check that one off. But um, yeah, I, I still have a lot of species on the bucket list that, that I have yet to go chase and pursue. Yeah. And and even if it's a species, like I have caught brown trout before, but I have not done it out West. So, yeah, I don't know. I treat like the bucket list is like, it's almost like the reserve tank of motivation. Like everybody needs to like, if you're not like still dreaming, like in, in, in a point where you still feel kind of like a little kid, I don't know. It's like, you hate the idea of getting pigeonholed and just getting stuck in the mud and your experience as an angler. Uh, but with it, you know, at the same time, you want to appreciate your back, you know, your backyard. It's it's the best thing you can do as an angler in, in your region is promote what's in your backyard, appreciate what's in your backyard, understand your waters. But man, there's just for me, there's nothing like going somewhere where you have no idea what's going yeah. on. There's just total uncertainty if you're going to succeed or fail. It's like you get to go back to feeling like you're totally this. Uh, you always feel like the student a little bit. You always should anyway. It's a mindset you should always have, but you can't help it when you get totally cast out of your element. Love Mm -hmm. that. So I love to like, you know, I love to get almost motivation from other people's upcoming trips. Fly, fly fishing is something I want to like rekindle and add back to my personal repertoire. I mean, again, I talk about in the spirit of being a well-rounded angler, you got to be able to be skilled in all applications, conventional gear, spinning gear. I'd like to do ice fishing and I hate the cold, but I want to be able to say I've done it. But, uh, my, you know, speaking of grandparents, my, my experience with a lot of my development as an angler, again, was the same way with my granddad. And, uh, and he specifically, it wasn't even an option. Like we had to learn how to cast flies at his house. Like when we came to visit on the holidays, we had to do fly casting lessons, but I, I loved it. He was a, that was big for me. So there's a lot of nostalgia there. Anytime I pick up a fly rod, I immediately like time warp back to those fly casting lessons. It just makes me feel good. So, uh, I don't know. I got to be a little bit more disciplined with my finances and save up and get a, a good fly set up and get, get back to that, go back down that rabbit hole, but totally agree. Um, that's cool. I, I, I definitely wanted to pick your brains on that one. We're sitting here talking about all the stuff she gives to fishing. Ain't nothing wrong with saying, here's what I want to get for me. Like, here's what, here's what I'm excited right. about doing purely for my own enjoyment. There's nothing wrong with, with broadcasting that, that. And I think I left out African Pompano is, is definitely on my bucket list too. And doing some more yeah. offshore fishing, because I'd have to say if there's one type of fishing where I feel out of my element is really in the offshore realm. Like I've been fortunate enough to go on a few trips and film a couple of shows with George Poveromo and, yeah. and I've done some offshore fishing, but to me, it's, it's one of those types of fishing where unless you're doing it on a regular basis, when you lapse from it, it's harder to, to, to pick it back up to me at least. And I just don't know. There's so many, just there's so many factors that weigh into sex, a successful day out on the water when you're offshore. And, uh, yeah. So I would like to do more of it. Um, 
but it's also given my schedule with guiding and the radio show and writing, I don't have a whole lot of time. And obviously it's not something that I'm going to do on my own because here in Southwest Florida, you got to go, you know, out miles and miles before you get to deep enough water to really be able to offshore fish. And now these guys are doing it because they have the, you know, the power and these, (laughs) these boats that can get way out there and they can get out there and get it done and come back in pretty quickly. But um, yeah, so I would say more offshore fishing is definitely on the, on the list too, hopefully at some point. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a cool one. If I didn't get seasick so easily, I'd probably be a little more enthusiastic about that. That's sort of, well, oh, the people that know me know that, uh, joke. I'm like the guy that's chumming off the back of the boat every time. Oh no. Ain't got sea legs. It's a shame. Jeez. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's been a new concept for me. This whole, I've always been very impulsive in my fishing, even in my most ambitious endeavors within the country. The biggest trips I've taken have been like a week's worth of planning. Like, let's just go. And I have definitely had to learn how to temper my, um, you know, I don't know, my, my excitement and start doing long range planning for trips. It, uh, but you know, I'm at that stage where I'm like, man, I want to, I'm like, I, I, I'm realizing I, I want to start doing some of the things I dreamed of, but yeah, I love, I, I get a lot of, again, very selfish things. A lot of, a lot of what I do as a podcaster is to like get things for myself. Like I need to motivate myself. So I love to be encouraged by other people's, um, bucket lists and just things that they're thinking about. I'm like, man, yeah. Well, you always have to have something to look forward to, right? It's, yep. it's sort of like the person that's training for the 5k and then they decide they're going to train for a 10k and then it's the half marathon and then it's the marathon. It's, it's always having that next something that you're working towards something that your next goal, your next achievement. And that's, it's no different in the fishing world to me, just you're always learning more and figuring out where you can go next from where you're at. Yeah, uh, I'll say on like, um, you know, on the on the on the eve or right, you know, about to have my first big experience overseas. It's like part of me thinks, oh, it'd be so awesome if I could do this all the time. But then I also think it's going to mean so much more to me. And and I think that other people will probably be in the same boat who don't have the ability to go do this stuff all the time. It's like it will mean so much more when you finally can do it it's like you stay disciplined for so long to make something happen that you have to work a lifetime of preparation and learning the craft of fishing to get to go kind of culminates in this bucket list trip experience whatever the case may be the fish isn't even the most important part but you know i know for me i'll be so much more happier because it will not have come easily you know i can't just throw money out there and just go do it um so Anyway, really awesome stuff, but you have been very gracious with your time. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know what you have going on next. Maybe some prepping for a, a trip. I don't know. For all I know, you got some clients lined up for tomorrow. Hope, you know, pending nicer weather. I think the worst is beyond here, but uh, uh, Debbie, I definitely appreciate your time. I appreciate no, Thank you for having me, David. I, I really appreciate it. And I truly enjoy reading all your blogs and listening to your podcast because you're getting a lot of fantastic information out there too, that people are learning from. So thank you for doing what you do to give back to the fishing community. Yeah. 
well, you have an invaluable voice in, in this whole thing. And, you know, something that's been interesting to me, I don't know, just on a personal level of gratitude, you know, it it's, this is a small show, you know what I mean? And I have found pretty quickly, some folks have not been as willing to share their time upon realizing how limited my reach is. So, you know, I appreciate you again, giving me time to come on to your radio show um, and, and, and being willing to share your time on this who knows maybe i'll be the next joe rogan of fishing but right now we're small and uh man all the folks that have you're been gonna get to, there yeah you're gonna get there i know we'll be in touch soon and hopefully we'll get you back on the radio show one of these days soon too oh yeah like i said i'm right down the road if you ever struggle to find somebody to come in i'm always happy to swing by on a saturday morning i have a lot of fun with that yeah, well, oh. I know people love listening to you and all your stories, and I know you've got a big adventure coming up. So when you get back into the states, we'll have to we'll have to circle back up for sure. Yeah, hopefully some success stories to come from that. So I'd be happy to divulge on that. It'll be plenty to talk about. But Debbie, yeah, we'll have to do it. Appreciate thank your time. You so much. All thank right, you. David. Take care. Thank you for listening to Boundless Pursuit. Tune in each week as we bring stories and insight from uniquely talented anglers and outdoorsmen. And if you enjoyed this show, I want to hear from you. Be sure to leave a five-star review as this is going to drive the growth and exposure of this show. And if you have feedback or guest suggestions, I would love to hear from you. And you can reach me at boundlesspursuitfishing at gmail.com. For all other collections of media and contact information, please visit www.boundless-pursuit.com. 